Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of This Week in History with me, your host, Dan the Viking. Um, Firstly, I want to just give a little shout out to uh, one of my Patreon members, Ian, uh, YA man. Um, I don't know any um, New Zealand slang, say hello, Um, but gentleman from Newcastle. So for those of you who didn't get the the YA man, he'll he'll understand. Thank you for your support. He's been messaging me every week um saying, Can you get have you got an episode coming out this week? You got an episode coming out this week? And uh yes, yeah, just the support is is fantastic from not just him, you know, there's a lot of you guys out there that that do sort of send your support quite regularly. But Ian, thank you very much. I r- really, really appreciate it. This week, guys, we are doing a little bit of a different story. Um it's one I've I've thought about doing for quite a long time, and it's one that I find intriguing. Dad did an episode called the California Gold Rush, and this sort of ties in to that a little bit. Um, for those of you who don't know it, um, it's called the Oregon Trail. Um, the Oregon Trail was essentially a mass migration of people. Now, the reasons behind it was a bit of propaganda from the US government um, and a bit of people wanting to settle somewhere that was different to where they lived. Now, the propaganda was massive. You know, at the time, uh, the sort of the mid to late 1800s, um, there was quite a big debate between Britain and America as to what would happen to an area called British Columbia. And you may have looked at a map of the United States and find it a little bit weird because it's possibly one of the only borders in the world that is essentially a straight line. Um, And it's along the 49th parallel. And the Oregon Trail was the debated area um, between Britain and America. America ended up winning this uh, little debate. And, you know, that's why the... 49th parallel is the line across America that uh, divides America from Canada and Britain wanted it to go along the the river um, 
which wasn't allowed. The Americans said no. It would have meant cutting places like Washington would have been half of Washington would have been part of British Columbia um, and not Washington state that it is now. And um, the only way really to cement it for the American government was to pretty much put out this thing saying if anybody moves to Oregon, they'll get land. And it got caught the mind of around 400,000 travelers to travel to this area in uh, northwest America that had not been settled. And it cemented that area as part of America because Britain couldn't really argue when there was nearly half a million people that had made the journey to live there. So in popular culture, the Oregon Trail is perhaps the most iconic subject in the larger history of the state of Oregon. Um, it adorns the recent Oregon, Ohio, uh, sorry, the Oregon Highway, not Ohio, the Oregon Highway license plate, um, and is an obligatory reference in the resettlement of Oregon. Um, is long attracted study from historians and people around the world and the Oregon Trail was first written about in 1849 by an American historian um, while it was active it was active use by migrants it subsequently was the subject of thousands of books movies plays poems songs and even computer games for those of you who are old enough to remember the old Oregon Trail game um, which let's be honest none of us really managed to complete um, if anyone has completed it um, I'll be quite impressed because I've tried the game it's virtually impossible you just die everyone dies <laughs> it's one of those games where you just die all the time um, the Oregon Trail attracted a lot of interest because it was a central feature in the mass migration the largest mass migration of people in American history between 1840 and 1860 up to 400,000 travelers used the 2,000 mile overland route to reach the Willamette Valley now a lot of people dispersed from this they went to um, different parts of America the California gold rush had a huge part to play in this um, a lot of people didn't go to Oregon they went to California um, the Mormons for example ended up going along the Oregon Trail starting Salt Lake City in Utah um, there was a lot of people that made the journey and decided not to go to Oregon in the end now whether that was through choice or whether that was through famine disease um, a lot of death along the way and um, the Oregon Trail was littered with bodies um, shallow graves um, the Oregon Trail passed through Powder River uh, the Grand Ronde Valley over the Blue Mountains down the Columbia River to the Dalles um, where many rafted their wagons um, and and their belongings and took them across the Columbia River Valley um, into Oregon after 1846 travelers could make their way overland on the Barlow Road from the Dalles around Mount Hood and directly into Oregon City on the Willamette River now a lot of people have this image of the carts and the wagons that were used and they were tiny little wagons and when you're talking about a 2,000 mile trip they walked it majority of people walked it or they did it in their wagons the wagons were not comfortable and they were not designed for humans to ride um 
there was no roads it was all uh, it was a trail you know essentially it was just off-roading in a wooden wagon and when you look at these wagons i mean they they carried a fair amount of goods but for a journey that long you're talking somewhere between 50 to 80 percent of that wagon was taken up purely on food supplies these people who traveled these this journey um they, they really couldn't take that much um families and individuals on the trail um typically traveled in companies that had 25 or more wagons um with one or more individuals providing general leadership smaller groups uh, when smaller groups combined leaders shared duties and authority to keep order you remember this is the wild west now when we talk about the wild west we're talking about a part of america that was completely lawless there were no laws if you murdered someone you, you pretty much got away with it the only people that could enforce any sort of rules were the leaders of these groups um, travelers generally walked alongside their wagons full of their belongings and food um, and most used farm wagons that had been modified for long distance travel um, including sort of a strengthened axle um, wagon tongues and wooden boxes that arched over the box to support the the wagon itself with a canvas or heavy cloth covering the wagons were 10 to 12 feet long and around four feet wide um, two to three foot in depth uh, the wagons weighed somewhere between a, a thousand and fourteen hundred pounds and they carried loads between 1500 and 200 2500 pounds and like i said majority of that was food you know most overland uses um use two or four um oxen to pull their wagons some used horses um but they used oxen mainly because they had more endurance and were less expensive than horses um and they were less likely to be stolen um now Obviously, during this time, you're talking about um, bandits on the road. You're talking about people who would literally just steal everything and kill anyone in sight. And one of the biggest fears of people uh, in this time was Indians. And I say Indians in quotations because that's how they're described. But we're talking about Native Americans. Obviously, the, the word Indian isn't politically correct anymore but we're talking about fear of native americans um from the earliest decade of the republic groups of migrants headed west from the established states to stake out homesteads on the western plains um and to create their own society they traveled across the appalachian mountains into the old northwest um in states of today's ohio indiana illinois michigan um, and from the south to populate places like Alabama, Mississippi, Arkansas, Missouri, and Iowa. And by the 1820s, some politicians called for the resettlement in Oregon County, a relatively unresettled region over the United States. And Great Britain joined their claim of sovereignty by 1818. The penetration of the fur trade into the region during the 1820s and 1830s um, really helped the, the population grow um, and exposed the natural wealth of the region um, and the presence of native populations. 
During most of this westward movement, overland trails and river passages were essentially conduits of people, trade and institutional expansion. Long distance wagon travel had moved along uh, had a long moved American West Americans west um, and south on such trails as the Great Wagon Road in the 1720s, the Wilderness Road uh, in the 1770s, and the Santa Fe Trail in the 1820s. But the Oregon Trail is the foremost as the longest and most heavily used route in the nation's resettlement of Western North America. The Oregon Trail developed from the discovery in 1812 of a wagon-safe route um, over the Continental Divide at South Pass in present-day Wyoming by a man named Robert Stewart. Uh, He was from the Pacific Fur Company um, and he was returning to Fort Astor where he came across... um, this trail Stuart had gone east from columbia uh, traversing the blue mountains and ascending the snake river in present-day ohio veering south to south pass and down the plate river into missouri his route uh, meant as the missouri gazette predicted in 1813 a journey to the western sea will not be considered within a few years um, of much great importance than a trip to New York. So he was basically saying that it's hard now, but in a few years, it's just going to be another thing. Um, fur trader William Suttle, um, a sublet, sublet or subtle, I'm not really sure how to pronounce that one, but uh, I'll go with sublet because that's the way it's spelt, um, made one of the first widely reported wagon trips from South Pass to St. Louis in 1830, and missionaries trekked over the western sections of the future Oregon Trail several years later on their way to Columbia and Willamette Valley. In the late 1830s, the Oregon Provisional Emigration Society, which was a Methodist group based in Massachusetts, promoted missionary experience expeditions to Oregon. Uh, some missionaries who had been sent west by American by the American Board of Foreign Missions praised the Oregon country's climate and fertile landscape. Basically they turned around and said this is one of the most beautiful places in the country and you will make a lot of money here. You'll be able to farm, you know, make money, feed your family it's better than anywhere else um and again this links back into that propaganda of trying to get people there the war of 1812 was a massive um problem for the americans and we've done an episode on the war of 1812 um i still maintain this was a british win um you can maintain it as a draw if you wish but if you're not sure go back and listen to that episode because it is a good episode um and it does create a little bit of a well, it'll open your eyes if you if you don't know a huge amount about the War of 1812. But America didn't want another war with Britain. Um, they had to find a way of doing this without creating a war. And this was, this was a nice, easy way to do it. Even if it did mean people travelling 2,000 miles on foot to the other side of the country. 
And by the early 1840s, the willing and determined, captured by the idea of Oregon, decided to ignore the naysayers and embrace adventure. They took the risks as the saying went to see the elephant. Um, This is a 19th century phrase that meant enduring hardships to experience the unbelievable. Um, And boy, did they experience hardships. By the mid-1840s, emigrants could use the trail guides to plan their journey and avoid um, the common mistakes that people had made before. Um, There were books written by um, Hastings' Emigrant Guide to Oregon and California, written in 1845, um, Overton Johnson's Route Across the Rocky Mountains in 1846, and Joel Palmer's Journey of Travels in 1847. They were popular books and widely distributed um, along the Oregon Trail and for people before they set off. Now, travelling west on the Oregon Trail began at several towns on the Missouri River, from Independence, Missouri to Council Bluffs and then followed the route west on both sides of the Platte River. Companies of wagons formed emigrants um, were, were formed, emigrants purchased supplies and the group followed the, the developing routes west. James Miller's diary in 1848 describes a typical small company and he said we had our outfit team three wagons, two ox teams and one horse team um, and necessary provisions for the trip which consisted of 200 pounds of flour for each person and there was 10 people 100 pounds of bacon for each person, a proportion of cornmeal, dried apples and peaches beans, salt, pepper rice, tea, coffee sugar and many similar articles um, such as um, medicine um, plenty of caps powder and lead um, to obviously fight off any bandits or native american attacks that they could possibly find on the trail and also guns were essential you know having a an ample supply of ammo and guns was essential for these people making this journey because had they run out of food there was an abundance of buffalo cows um things like that on the trail that could be shot and consumed i believe during the 1800s as well america essentially hunted the buffalo to almost extinction and a lot of this comes from the plains and a lot of this comes from the oregon trail um there was quite a lot of people that had to basically they had to be prepared they had to be prepared for any situation Um, their company was made up of david o'neill one wagon two boys two catholic priests um, and this is from his diary reverend j lionette and uh, fr lamprit their servant david huntingdon his wife three children david stone and his wife with two children george hedger william smith George A. Barnes and his wife, L. D. Peru, Purdue, sorry, Lawrence Burns, James Costello, Jacob Costner and wife, two children, George Wallace, Joseph Miller and his wife with three sons and a daughter. And this was just one group, all right? There was thousands of groups, but this is one group with three wagons. So as I'm sure you can imagine, three wagons, quite a lot of people there. You're not going to fit in the wagons. 
they had to walk. Yeah, it's a long walk, 2,000 miles. It's not something I would want to do. Um, most groups tried to set out by mid-April. Their goal was to reach Fort Kearney, uh, founded in 1848, um, near present-day Kearney, Nebraska, by May the 15th. Then to Fort Laramie, which is uh, in present-day Wyoming, by mid-June, South Pass by the 4th of July, and Oregon by mid-September. So it's a long ride, and it's, uh, I mean, that's, that's pretty quick, I think. You know, when you think about all the stuff they had to endure and trying to get everybody ready every morning to, to go from April to September to walk 2,000 miles, that's uh, that's good going. Um, wagon trains could average from 12 to 15 miles per day. That's not a lot. Um, but most had to pause during the route because of conditions. Um, and some did not travel on Sundays, which obviously makes it a lot harder. In many sections, the trail spread across miles of terrain as successive emigrants um, saw earlier transit. Sources of water and uh, forage for animals often determined camping locations. Streams and river crossings, steep descents and ascents, violent storms and the persistent threat of disease among large groups of travellers were the most common challenges. Storms in the Midwest are extremely dangerous. Um, you know, places like Kansas and um, I, for those of you who live around there, there, I believe there's even a place in Kansas called Tornado Valley, which to me sums up somewhere where I wouldn't want to live. But you don't know when these storms are coming. We know more now, but these guys didn't know. Um, a tornado now rips a house apart. Just imagine what it's going to do to a wagon. And you lose your wagon, you're dead. You're thousands of miles from any civilization or hundreds of miles from any civilization. You can't survive. It was dangerous. Um, smallpox was rife. There was diseases such as cholera. People who didn't know how to boil water before they drunk it. And that sounds really simple now that you're not going to drink straight out of a river because it's not clean. But a lot of these immigrants, and I say I use the word immigrants, not emigrants, because a lot of these guys had come from Europe. They'd moved to America. They'd heard about this amazing place in Oregon where they could go and settle. And a lot of German, uh, especially German, Slavic um, immigrants actually moved purely for the Oregon Trail. So they don't they're not used to rivers and uh, or, or America they're not certainly not used to American rivers they're not from America but they they're used to a little bit of a different climate um they're not used to the desert for for starters and they're certainly not used to things like boiling water before they drink it. Um Britain had sanitized water at this time um you know a lot of places in Europe had you know essentially sanitized water that they could drink and yeah you can imagine how quickly something like cholera just ravaged through these uh, through these wagon trains um most deaths from disease occurred east of fort laramie 
Accidents were the second most frequent uh, cause of death on the trail. And an accident can be anything from falling off your horse, getting crushed by a wagon wheel. It doesn't sound like much, you know, being run over by a wagon that's moving, what, two miles an hour? It doesn't sound very much, but these wagons had 2,000 pounds inside them and they weighed a fair amount as well. And there's no doctor. A wagon goes over your leg, broke your leg. You can't walk. You can't ride in the wagon because there's no room. There's nothing you can do. There's not a doctor for hundreds of miles. You you pretty much, you're on your way. Native Americans killed around 400 emigrants before 1860. Um, but emigrants actually killed more Indians um, than were were killed. So there were more Native Americans that actually died during this time than people on, on the, the Oregon Trail. Uh, there was, however, uh, no emigrant who died after, um, uh, who died until 1845 from violence from Native Americans. In fact, a lot of the stories that came out said that the Native Americans were more helpful than aggressive. You know, they weren't, they didn't see a, a, a row of wagons and thought, yeah, we're going to attack these. They went out, they traded with them, they offered help if they needed it. Um, essentially, they treated them a lot better than the Americans had treated the natives up to this point. Wagon trains organised their members through uh, consensual agreements to rules of order, behaviour, property, security and work responsibilities were written into constitutions that were written before they left um, their, their start destination. Constitutions and bylaws prevailed until 1850 and after which most groups preferred to operate the ad hoc agreements. Um, many wagon trains organised tribunals to dish out punishments uh, for property crimes, assaults, activities um, that jeopardised the security of anyone else on the trail. The most common punishments were, dis uh, were assignment of extra guard duty and expulsion. Uh, whippings were extremely rare and executions only took place after a legal proceeding and a jury verdict these normally happened around midday and the reason they happened at midday is whilst you're on the trail at 4am roughly 4am you would hear a gunshot the gunshot would be to wake everybody up and they would then have to pack their things, cook their breakfast, and leave. There would be a second gunshot, roughly 6 o'clock, and that would be when the trail began. At midday, in the Midwest, across the desert, it's very hot. This was the time where they would stop for lunch, and this was the time where they would deal out any um, verdict that needed to be, to be done, and any punishments pending from there. The, the most dangerous... What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Form of punishment, I would say, in this other than um, obviously execution, was expulsion from the trail. You know, there's strength in numbers. There's security there. If you're out on your own, you've gone in a group of, say, 50 people, 100 people. And at one point, I believe there was over 1,000 people that left to go on the Oregon Trail all at the same time. If you're kicked off the trail hundreds of miles from civilization and you're on your own, chance of survival is extremely slim. African-Americans also traveled the Oregon Trail, making up perhaps as many as 3% of overlanders before 1860. Some actually traveled as slaves and property of the white travelers, um, but many of them were free. Um, George Bush, for example, um, traveled in the Simmons-Gilliam wagon train in 1844 as a free man, hiding some $2,000 in silver coins which he loaned to cash-strapped travellers. For many free blacks, emigration west offered a hope of a better life with fewer social obstacles, and in many cases, this actually proved to be true. There was a better way of life out there. And people weren't as prejudiced, you know. Again, like, I, I go back to a lot of these travelers were not native born they weren't american born they'd come over um in emigrations from uh, europe so europeans had a very different outlook on on um, africans and i say africans because in europe we don't call them african british so people of african origin we had a different outlook on them compared to the americans we we weren't, uh, you know, as as harsh and as nasty as, as the Americans were at this time. Um, the trail experience for men and women differed considerably. Their roles and duties followed 19th century norms, so the women were responsible for the children. They were responsible for cooking, laundry, things like that. And women walked as well, as the same, same as the men, but they did not stand guard and were not expected to work ox teams or repair the wagons. Men held most, if not all, of the leadership positions. Um, again, something that pretty much happens in today's society, rightly or wrongly, by the way. The trail in Oregon, um, by the time the overlanders reached the Oregon County in present-day southeastern Ohio. Remember that, guys. It's not Oregon, the uh, the state at this point. It's the Oregon area. Um, they traveled nearly two-thirds of their journey, um, but the most difficult section actually laid ahead between Idaho and Oregon. At Fort Boise, established by the Hudson Bay Company in 1834, um, the trail crossed the Snake Rivers and uh, a wagon ford at 400 yard downstream from the fort. Trying to take a wagon over a river is not very easy. 
Um, overlanders continued northwest, crossing the Malur River, leaving the snake at a place known as Farewell Bend before climbing up the Burnt and Powder River drainages to Lad Canyon. The trail then dropped steeply to the Grande River, the Grand Ronde River, and ascended east up the slope of the Blue Mountains to the Emigrant Springs. From Emigrant Springs, the trail proceeded through Dead Man's Pass. Now, this was named during the 1870s, and it doesn't take a genius to understand why it was named Dead Man's Pass. It was not for the faint-hearted. A lot of people who'd got this far, this is, if you were going to have a serious problem, this is where it was going to be. Um, this was the key to the opening to the Amatilla River Valley. Sorry, some of these words I, don't, I can't pronounce very well. Um, just east of present-day Pendleton. A branch of the trail headed north to uh, Wailatapu, um, a mission established by Marcus and Narcissa Whitman in 1836, and then west to the Walla Walla River to Fort Walla Walla. That sounds really cool, by the way, Walla Walla. I could say that all night. I'm going to wake up now in the morning going Walla Walla Walla. So... Sorry, off track there. We got a bit distracted by a really cool name. Um, the post first establishment by the Northwest Fur Company in 1818. The main route crossed the Amitala River near present-day Echo in Oregon and headed west on the south side of the Columbia River um, to an easy ford on the John Day River near present-day Balock Canyon. Travellers got their first view of the Columbia River at this point. From the benchlands above to present-day Briggs, they then descended to the river and proceeded west to the mouth of the Deschautes River, Deschautes? Deschautes River uh, where the crossing was probably the most dangerous they'd done up until now. Just to give you an idea, we've probably crossed about five or six rivers at this point. They've done the plains, they fought the Native Americans, they fought bandits, they fought disease, they fought rattlesnakes, accidents, pretty much everything up to this point. And now they get to within touching distance of Oregon and they're now at the most dangerous part. So just put that into perspective how far you've got and now you're at the dangerous part i mean that's pretty pretty impressive um overlanders struck their first euro-american settlement in oregon at the dallies where they found horses a schoolhouse um, a barn cultivated fields all part of a mission that the methodists had established in 1838 until 1846, travellers had only one choice, to break down their wagons and load them on rafts to float down the turbulent Columbia River, and that's risky, um, and passage to do this was expensive. Many had to borrow to, to pay for this downriver passage. Now, if you can imagine, a lot of these guys had left majority of their possessions, you know, the the um, Oregon Trail was littered, absolutely littered 
with furniture, with clothes, um, belongings, things that people took with them when they first left and then set out and realized, actually, this is too heavy for the wagon. The wagon can't do this for 2,000 miles. So they didn't have much to barter with and to borrow for payments to get to this point. And they've got to this point. They've now got to break down their wagons. Anything they've got has to go onto a raft and go down, essentially, whitewater rapids. It's not safe. (laughs) Certainly not safe. By 1846, however, travellers had another option. Samuel K. Barlow and Joel Palmer pioneered a route around the south flank of Mount Hood to Oregon City. Um, and Barlow developed the route into a rough toll road. So, yeah, now you could do it on a cheaper way and go down the river and potentially lose everything in the river, or you could pay $5 per wagon and $0.10 per head of stock to use the toll road. The road stretched from the Dalles to Oregon City, Um, and operated well into the 20th century when it was donated to public use. Um, Portions of the present US Highway 26 and Oregon Highways 211 and 224 on the west side of Mount Hood follow the parts of Barlow Road. Other alternative routes were developed um, and were often called cut-offs, so across Oregon um, into the Willamette Valley, Um, at the same time of year that Barlow and Palmer had traced around their road around Mount Hood, a group of emigrants set off on what was become known as Meek Cut-Off, which mountain man Stephen Meek promised to shorten the trip by 150 miles. Um, In late August, 1,000 overlanders in at least 200 wagons followed Meek on the trail that led directly west of Fort Bosey. He soon lost his way and jeopardised the travellers who split up into separate groups on the Snake River near present-day Ontario and eventually made their way to the Dalles in early October and at this time Barlow and Palmer headed around Mount Hood. At least 24 people died on that mission. And what's so important here is they're reaching it in October. Now I don't know how many of you have ever been to the north of America where it borders with Canada? October, it's bloody cold. Um, and when it's that cold and you've got snow, you've got to remember a lot of these guys have come from places like Germany and uh, Britain, France. Uh, these are, you know, Slavic countries where they don't really see that much snow. And some of these people have probably never seen snow in their entire life. I live in Britain. We probably get snow once a year for about three days. And most of the time it doesn't even settle. Um, I think my kids didn't actually see snow settle on the ground until they were about five. Because we, we see it snow, but it, it never settles. When it settles and you haven't got the means of transport to get through it these wagons were not designed to go through this it causes some big problems and that's exactly what it did and a lot of people died because of the cold weather 
1846, Jesse and Lindsay Applegate laid out a southern route that took overlands from Fort Hall on the Snake River, southwest along the upper Humboldt River, across present-day Nevada and California to Klamath Lake, and northwest to the southern point of Wilmette Valley. Although the route had never been heavily used, or not as heavily used as the Barlow Road or the Applegate Trail, um, sorry, the Applegate Trail led thousands of people into Oregon. It wasn't the most popular route, probably wasn't the most famous route, um, and the, I'm gonna. It doesn't give me much information, but I'm gonna guess the reason it wasn't so popular is because it wasn't as easy. There were a lot of splinter trails that were developed through the time. Um, another one developed north of the Columbia River where uh, overlanders arrived at Fort Vancouver after descending the river from the Dalles and taking advantage of the Hudson Bay Company posts along the way. Michael Simmons was the founder of the Tumwater in 1845. John Jackson, uh, an American, a Euro-American, um, from 1844 he settled on the Cowlitz River um, and Peter Crawford also found Kelso in 1847 Uh, this began settlements along an overland and river trail north of the Pudget Sound essentially what this is saying is these split off groups pretty much had their own they had their own trail, but a lot of these guys formed their own towns. These are towns that still exist today. Um, more immigrants crossed um, Indian lands during the 1840s and early 1850s, and native people became a little bit more resistant as the time went on. So they started off helping, um, but they're slowly seeing the amount of people that are coming across are now forcing their lands smaller and smaller. And what you've got to remember at this point in history, the Americans had put natives onto reservations. Um, and I believe, I don't know a huge amount about um, the Native Americans, but I believe they're still on reservations today. Um I mean, you got to remember, 200 years before this, there was no Europeans in America. There was no white man living in America. So we turned up, we took over, we put them on reservations to the west of uh, the Western Plains, and then the U.S. government in the 1840s went, "Eh, yeah, we might want that, and then sent people across so at first they're sort of going oh yeah here these are people we can trade with oh this is good this is more population more people yeah we're quite happy with this all of a sudden there's nearly half a million people invading your lands now you're starting to think "Ah, this is there's a bit too many here it's causing problems um the first oregon trail emigrant um emigrants to re made emigrants reach Oregon uh, followed in the wake of earlier agriculturalists, um, retired Hudson Bay Company employees who had settled out in the lush Willamette Valley. Um, An early emigrant wrote, uh, he cannot be excelled anywhere in the world uh, in fertility and productivity. 
for everything one plant grows luxuriously and abundantly. Low-cost homesteads lands became a prime draw for Oregon Trail migrants across the Oregon Provisional uh, Legislature that was passed um, into law in July 1843. That secured 640 acres for an emigrant family. That's a lot. This is a lot of land that the government were giving away. And they were giving it away. These were some of the most fertile lands in America. And the government was just giving the land away to people who went there. Um, The 1843 arrivals um, bolstered the provisional government with their support in the 1845 revisions of the Organic Land Law and law created in the House of Representatives allowed the power to pass statutes, essentially making this area covered by US law. Continued emigration added sufficient population by 1846 to aid the US negotiators in securing the Oregon Treaty with Great Britain, which described Oregon as the land north of the 42nd parallel and east of the Continental Divide, north of the 49th parallel. With over 5,000 inhabitants, Oregon secured territorial status from Congress in 1848, and the territory's population topped 12,000 just a few years later in 1850. In 1850, Congress affirmed Oregon's extraordinary land law as the Oregon Donation Land Act, which extended the provisions until 1855 and resulted in 7,500 claims to more than 2.5 million acres. The enormous influx of overland emigrants and liberal land laws caused the US government to purchase through treaties millions of acres of land from the native people. These treaties were negotiated by Isaac Stevens and Joel Palmer in 1854-55 and secured most tribal land in the states of Oregon and Washington. So, basically, they stole the land. Now, we know they stole the land. That's kind of the history of America. We stole the British, stole the land, and then the Americans stole the land off the British, and then everyone stole the land off the natives. Um, interest in the Oregon Trail continues to generate state, regional, national and international interest books and articles and publication documents new findings, new diaries, memoirs um, descriptions of the trail and travel continues to this day Um, today's tourists can see evidence of the trail along the route Um, there's a place called I believe it's Peace Rock. I'm sure it's called Peace Rock. Someone's going to correct me on this if I'm wrong. But you can find this in Ohio. Ohio. I keep saying Ohio. Idaho, sorry. And it's a huge rock that's just in the in the, the way. Um, and it is in the way. It's not a mountain. It's just a rock. And it's covered in graffiti. But this graffiti dates back to 1850. People who have gone past... It's not called Peace Rock. It's called Independence Rock. 
I've just had a brainwave. It's independence rock. Um, and anyway, this rock is covered in etchings and drawings. And they they, they have people, even now, um, where people write their names on it and they write their name and then the year that they wrote their name. If you ever get a chance to go there, and I think it is completely out of the way, it's not somewhere you'd find easily. Um, I think it's easy to find. It's not somewhere easy to get to. Um but this rock has got inscriptions from 1840s, 1850s of people's names, of people who did the Oregon Trail. The Oregon Trail is fascinating, um, and I think it's definitely worth a mention and definitely worth an episode because there's so much to it. What these people had to endure to get to where they got to is is fascinating. I, you know, I can't imagine being in a position where your life is that bad that you have to up stakes and move 2,000 miles and in a way that is extremely dangerous for you, your family, everyone who's traveling with you. The The death rate on the Oregon Trail is not as high as you'd believe. Um, I believe it's somewhere around 5% um, of people who actually went on the, the trail died um it's still quite high but it wasn't unbelievably high and it's not as high as uh, like i said the game will make you believe like, you know if you ever play the game it is uh, virtually impossible to complete without dying so it does give you a little bit of an idea um, and it wasn't as dangerous as people say and like i said with the 400,000 people who made the the, the distance or who travelled the distance, only 400 were actually killed by Native American attacks, which is 0.01%. So, not a high amount. But again, it was probably one of the biggest worries of people doing this this trail, was the Native Americans. Because in the 1800s, this massive propaganda was out there about the Natives and how how they fought and how they... Uh, scalped their enemies and things like that and you know it 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 set fear into people and it certainly set fear into people from Europe who'd made the distance who never encountered a Native American never really heard stories about them you know the Americans who lived there um, in in the places like um, Mississippi and uh, Florida and all these areas where They'd heard stories. They'd grown up with stories of Native Americans. The Europeans coming over, they're only really going to hear the stories, the negative stories. So the fear of these natives was was huge. And in reality, it wasn't really as dangerous as, as they thought. Another thing I find very interesting is in 1837, America was hit by a Great Depression. And... I say a Great Depression, it, this was huge. Um, massive, massive problems with the cotton industry. Cotton essentially kept the South of America in business. Without cotton, they didn't have anything. And cotton prices plummeted to possibly the lowest they'd ever been. And this caused a huge problem for people because they'd lost their jobs, they lost their homes, they couldn't afford to live where they were. And all of a sudden, around this time, 
the American government are saying, well, if you decide to make this perilous journey, but if you actually get there, we're going to give you acres of land. You can farm whatever you want. Um, you can actually have this land yourself. It'll be your land. You know, you won't have to live in a a house in the middle of Tennessee or in the middle of even places like Texas was a was a huge place where people would emigrate from. And when you're living in a city in these these types of situations, the cities went down first. They poverty in the cities was worse than it was um, in the plains. So it sounded like a risk worth taking, and obviously it was. Like I said, four hundred thousand people made the journey. Very very dangerous and a lot of issues to deal with on the way but it's i i would say it's something that's kind of lost to history the oregon trail it's not something that's widely spoken about it's not something that people know a huge amount about because why would you you know in today's society you don't need to walk 2000 miles you can hop on a plane and be there in 5 6 hours you know, you can drive 2,000 miles if you really wanted to. It's not that difficult anymore. You know, America's got um, the railways, the, the the highways. Again, they've got such a good infrastructure when it comes to planes. Nowadays, it's not something people think about. But back then, there was no other option. Um, it, was, it was that or stay where you are. So... I think uh, this is a poignant episode for for those who know a little bit about it and hopefully I've taught you a little bit more um, in regards to the Oregon Trail. It's uh, fascinating. I think it's fascinating. You might disagree with me, but I think it is. Um, So again, a little shout out to everyone who has given me support over the last few weeks. Uh, I know these episodes haven't been as frequent as uh, you would like. just struggling a little bit with work and finding time to record so i'll work these will be coming as as when i get a chance hopefully we will be doing one every week so this is the plan going forwards back to a weekly schedule so hopefully you won't have to worry too much and uh we say every week is these episodes do go out onto patreon first so if you cannot wait for the next episode you, you need to go over to patreon and uh enjoy it over there it's five dollars a month and uh, that's what's going to keep me in business so thanks for listening guys and we shall see you next time